If anyone knows how to use music to maximum effect on screen, it's James Gunn. For James is the man behind both Guardians of the Galaxy films, which are as celebrated for their hugely successful, awesome mixes as his sharp, fun and witty interpretation of the Marvel franchise. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast in which directors, writers, actors and composers discuss the music of cinema and television. In the movies, Star-Lord Peter Quill listens to mixtapes given to him by his mother on his Walkman, which are laden with music from 1970s Earth. The songs often play during the action on screen, providing energy and drive to the narrative. As well as the joyous array of source cues, there's Tyler Bates' score, which we'll hear extracts from throughout the course of the conversation. Now, unfortunately, we weren't afforded as long with James as we would have liked, so there was barely time to deal with all the tunes in the Guardians films, let alone anything else. But he is fantastic value nonetheless, and we still managed to cover plenty of ground. So without further ado, let's find out a bit about his process when it comes to picking the likes of Redbone, The Runaways, Raspberries and Blue Swede for his so-called mixes. Hey, 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 that's mine. You son of a... Hey, take those headphones off right now! James, welcome to Soundtracking. I'm happy to be here. Oh my God, there could not be a more perfect person to talk to about music and film, it's you. The soundtracking oh. is kind of my thing. The last film, Soundtrack, yeah. was a massive surge in terms of regenerating the love of vinyl as well, so thank you. Yeah, and the, the <laughs> love of the cassette. We sold a lot of cassettes on the last film, which I was very surprised I by. I dug mine out. It took me <laughs> ages to find an actual cassette player to play it on. They call themselves the Guardians of the Galaxy. And a bunch of a-holes. When it comes in, because when you're writing a project and you know that you're going to direct it, as you have done with both these yeah. films, when does the music come in? Is it in your head when you're writing? And obviously, the music has so many different forms within this. There's score, there's contemporary tracks, but there's tracks that are within the narrative as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it really varies. But basically, I write all of the songs into the screenplay. So sometimes I have a song that I'd like to use, that I'm looking for a reason to use it, and then sometimes I find a reason, sometimes I don't. Yeah. 
find a scene that I think could use some music, and I have a big collection of about, I don't know, 500 songs I think of as Guardians-type songs from the yes. 70s that Meredith Quill would love. And I, I look through those to see if there's something I can find. Um, and then sometimes I can, and sometimes I can't. If I can't, then I go back into the library of, of old songs from the 70s and try to find something else. I search out and find different things. And then, of course, I play them on set um, so that we know what we're moving to. The actors know what's happening. But basically, they're all written to the screenplay, so they're organically a part of the movie. People of Xander, the time has come to rejoice and renounce your paltry gods. Your salvation is at hand. Isanga! Yeah! things are gonna get easier. Ooh, child, things will get brighter. Listen to these words. Ooh, child, things are gonna get easier. Ooh, child, things will get brighter. Then bring it down hard. Someday, put it together and we'll get it And then Tyler Bates' score, which is an important element to the movie, which a lot of people don't think of because the songs are so prevalent. Yeah. We also write the score ahead of time, and we play the score on set so that we can move and film and act to the score. No! Wonderful and interesting fact that, that you have Tyler write the score before you even start film, which is quite a unique thing, is it not? Yeah, oh yeah, and I've, I, 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 you know, it's Sergio Leone and Ennio Morricone used to do it on their old spaghetti westerns. That's when I remember reading about it as a kid, and I was like, yeah, why doesn't everybody do that? Because music is such an important element of a film, yeah. and it's often just slapped on at the end. I mean, sometimes movies are edited before the pop songs are added, 
which makes no sense to me. When I first started making movies back in the, the 90s, and I saw that we were editing movies and then putting songs in afterwards, I'm like, this is nuts. Like, there's <laughs> rhythm, there's a beat, there's a reason that you would cut to songs. Um, you know, and then even more so, just a reason to film to the song. Immortal! How? You said it yourself, bitch. We're the guardians of the galaxy. conversations that you and Tyler have then pre him writing the score and recording it? Well, I let him, you know, read the screenplay and then I talk about, okay, so, you know, we don't write every little bit of score, but I'll tell him, you know, here's this important scene that we really need some music for, this important scene. I'll give him an order. I think this time I gave him an order of about 10 scenes, uh, you know, starting with the most important to the least important that we needed score for. And then he and I start going through and figuring out what kind of thing we want. Sometimes I use references from other movies. Sometimes I use references from pop songs or references from other stuff that Tyler and I have done in the past. Yeah. start with you and Tyler? He did, did the score for uh, the movie Dawn of the Dead, which I wrote. And I met him uh, on that film, and we really got along, and now he's scored all of the movies I've directed. that relationship? I think it's a very loyal one. I think that he's a good friend and I think that he doesn't mind me getting incredibly picky about the music. You know, I think that if there's one thing I'm consistent with as a director is I push people past the point of where they think they can go and with Tyler that means sometimes it's not the first cue that he gives me nor the second nor the tenth. It could be beyond that um, <laughs> until we get to exactly the right piece. 
saw you, uh, someone asking you what was your favourite piece of music from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and you said Tyler's score piece, Dad. Yes. Why in that piece in particular? Um, I find his piece uh, on the score called Dad to be just an amazingly wonderful piece that makes me get weepy and I love it and we recorded it here in London at Abbey Road it was a wonderful experience to see this 94 piece orchestra playing this you know wonderful symphonic piece and and so uh, I just I love it and and, and people are always surprised because they want me to say Fleetwood Max the chain brandy <laughs> or one of these other songs which I really love those songs but his, his Tyler score is unparalleled There's so many specific points from this film that relate to the music, but ELO, it just filled me with joy. I've never felt so happy in a cinema. Screenplay, you're writing specific songs in, and I know that volume one you were going to use an ELO song, but you didn't yeah. in the end. You know, I've said it before, but if the Guardians had a house band, it would be the Electric Light Orchestra. I mean, they are the ultimate space rock, big power pop band, and I think they fit perfectly with the vibe of the Guardians. So I was really happy on this one to be able to use uh, Mr. Blue Sky at the beginning of the film. And I think the song itself is wonderful because it's such a happy pop song, but there's this dark underpinning to the song. And I think Jeff Lynn says the song is just about a sunny day, but the ending of that song is creepy as hell. Because it's all that, so, you know, here comes Mr. Knight, now he's creeping over, now his hand is on your shoulder. And I'm like, oh, and I thought it was a perfect opening for a beginning that does start out in this big, bright, brash way and goes into something a little bit darker. Mr. Lynn, you did it right, but some 
I read this wonderful thing that you said where you'd, I think with the first film and you had somebody who said to you, no one is going to want to hear this music when you had the collection yeah. of songs that you were going to use for volume one and it's kind of like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, got, you got the last laugh with that conversation because you, you created a mixtape that everybody wanted to hear. Yeah, that, one of the execs uh, who's, who's no longer around, I will say. Uh, I mean, every single draft of the script he came in with this thing saying, you know, no one is going to want to hear this music. I keep saying it. No one is listening. Take the songs out. You should change. If my kids hear this music, they're going to be diving for, that's just a quote. <laughs> if my kids hear for this music, they're going to be diving for the channel to change the channel to get it off because they hate it. You know, you should think about 90 songs. That's the thing that kids have some retro feelings for or whatever. And, and uh, luckily... You're not really trapped into using the music until we first screen tested the movie and people loved the music and by that time it was too late. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always happy with that guy that he... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <he's>, uh, <laughs> How personal are the choices that you make with the songs? Because you know the way that you talk about them, they're all they're all from your collection. They're yeah. all songs that you love or you have a connection with. I mean, everything about Guardians is pretty personal. So the songs are the songs are personal. Brandy, in particular, is a song that affected me greatly as a young man. Brandy wears a braided chain made of finest silver from the north of Spain. A locket that bears the name of a man that Brandy loved. He came on a summer's day, bringing gifts from far away. But it made it clear he couldn't stay. No horror was his home. The sailor said, Brandy, you're a fine girl. It's not a spoiler, but you know, they go into the meaning of the song in the movie. That's actually, they break it down in a way we've never done in a Guardians movie before where they talk about it and what it means, what it's about. And that's kind of how I interpret it as a young man. And I'm not sure it didn't screw up my whole life, but uh, it's a beautiful, wonderful song. Because of the success of the, the first film, not just in terms of the film itself, but in terms of the soundtrack as an album, did that give you more creative license? Well, in terms of the budget, yes. I mean, the budget of the first movie, we didn't spend very much on any of those songs. I got every song I asked for on the first one, but I went into it thinking, okay, we have this certain level of song that we're going to be able to get. I started out on my first movie, I did the music supervision, I got the rights to the songs, I know how much they cost and what that's like, so I relate to a lot to the job of the music supervisor. But on this one, I think that we had free reign. I kind of just went for any song that I wanted, which meant that we had some enormous songs by Fleetwood Mac or George Harrison. My sweet Lord mm, My Lord mm, My Lord I really want to see Also had some songs that are completely, nearly unknown by Silver and and uh, in Aliada Haynes and Jeremiah. 
which is uh, a pretty cool thing too to yeah. take these songs that people don't remember or don't know and now everyone all over the world is going to know these songs. There's a road I'd like to tell you about Lives in my hometown Lakeshore Drive, the road is called And it'll take you up or down From rats on up to riches Fifteen minutes you can fly Pretty blue lights along the way Help you right on by And the blue lights shining with a heavenly grace Help you right on by Well, there's a lovely loyalty there from you in terms of one of the particular songs was it Cheap Trick? Mm. You'd use them in Super. They'd given you it for free and you yeah. said, and so, you know, a lovely gifting back. Yeah, Cheap Trick, I used their song, If You Want My Love, on the soundtrack for Super. I showed them the scene that the movie was going to be in, and then they gave me the song for something like 150 bucks or something like that, uh, which was wonderfully kind and wonderfully nice of them. Surrender on this album, and honestly, Surrender's up there with I Want You Back and a couple of other songs is maybe my favorite pop song ever written. It's always a song that moves me emotionally because it really is a song that's about we're all kind of okay. It's a song about moderation, which is rare for a pop song or a rock song. You know, your parents, you know, may be a little out of date, they may be a little crazy but give them a break because they love you. There's something just wonderfully inclusive and, and moving about the song. well where you kind of ridicule your mum and dad's record collection yeah. but then you get to a point where you go actually they've got pretty good taste yeah my parents didn't have <laughs> none whatsoever <laughs> not really <laughs> i don't know pat boone <laughs> on a day like today we pass the time 
I love the idea of fans sending you songs as well. Kind of that idea. Yeah. You've got to include this in the next one. That happens. It, it? It, it happens constantly. And, and at times it's like, oh my God, come on. Of course I know this song because I feel like I know. And I do. I mean, I've gone through almost every single song that was a hit in the top 40 in the 70s. So I always know all the songs until somebody sent me this song by, by Silver called Wham Bam that I had never heard. And I thought it was really cool. And somebody was like, you should use this in Guardians. And it was a fan um, on either Twitter or Facebook. And I, I listened to the song. And it was really, I didn't even think it was a real song. I thought it was like <laughs> a modern band playing a retro style song. And it ended up being this really great song from the 70s that I ended up using in the movie, which is shocking. attention because you really do I do pay attention you really yeah. do pay yeah, attention yeah. and I love how we're with this film as well there's a nod to the next I don't want to give anything away for people but you know there's more to come yeah yeah we have we have options a lot of options yeah, a lot of options yeah <laughs> James we haven't even scratched the surface on all of your work so I hope we can catch up again another time for to do sure. that thank, thank you, you. thank you cheers
soundtrack to Guardians of the Galaxy 2. That's Guardians Inferno by Sneepers, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with writer, director James Gunn. My huge thanks to James for taking the time to talk to us, albeit rather briefly. He's certainly a man in demand and quite rightly so. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is on general release now with the awesome mix volume 2 available via UMC. Now you can find a track list for this show via edithbowman.com which is also the place to recap on all of our previous episodes be it John Favreau, Ron Howard, Damien Chazelle and many, many others. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do rate us and subscribe at iTunes if you get a moment. Next up is the legendary British director and producer Michael Apted, whose new film Unlocked stars Numi Rapace, Orlando Bloom, Michael Douglas and John Malkovich. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. (laughs) 